Now, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about let's make the church great again. How do you make the church great again? And this morning's message, and this may be the last of the series, I'm not guaranteeing that, but uh, at this point in time, it looks like it's going to be. I think I've said what I want to say and, and what God wanted me to say to the church and to uh, anyone that would listen. Uh, I'm entitling the message today, The Ingredients of a Great Church. The Ingredients of a Great Church. What are those ingredients? We've tried to bring up from time to time along in the series how if you don't know what a church is, you will not know how to relate to it or whether you do relate to it or not. If your idea of a church is a group of people that, that get buildings and put signs up and call preachers and call singers and start having meetings and get a 501c3 nonprofit uh, uh, recognition by the Internal Revenue Service, then you are a church. And if anybody wants to know or doubt it, just say, go look at the sign. You will see. We are the church. We're the first church, the second church, the third church, the No Hope Church, or the Hope Church, or whatever that you might, might want to name it. But uh, my purpose of this is, I want you to know what a church is. Because you see, the Lord says the only thing that's going to be here when he comes back that's guaranteed is his church. And if you don't know if you're a part of that, and regardless of if your name is on the roll, because when you were 14 years old, which was 70 years ago, that you got baptized in the What's Happening Now Church in Southern Mississippi, and we'll never forget the fried chicken and the, and the wonderful butter beans that was served as all the candidates got together and they celebrated back. That's not a church. That's not a church. If you're thinking about big buildings, that's not a church. That's where the church meets. Now, what are the ingredients of the church? I think we'll all be encouraged before this message is over. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart and of one soul. If you go back and study church history, there's two ways you can study it. You can study church history based on when various kinds of churches got started. When was the first Baptist church? Where was the first Methodist church? Where was the first Catholic church? Where was the first Episcopalian church? Where did it start? Who were the members? Now that is a form of church history and it is worthy of study. But there's another way to study church history. And that is to go back to when Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And you remember this was sermon one. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, everybody here that's lived very long knows of churches that have closed their doors. The church that we see on the corner with the sign have closed their doors. There are many places where there were once great churches and there's used car lots or hamburgers or something else there today, but they, they've closed. So it looked like the scripture is saying, the church is going to be there when I come back. And you'd say, well, not my church because I was baptized at a church that don't even exist anymore. 
Well, you weren't baptized into a local church if you had believer's baptism. You were baptized into the family of God. And that family of God doesn't carry signs around to tell you, but the Christ that's in them makes them different than the people that know not Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Another thing you will find is that the church came from every walk of life. All people of all kinds, the very healthy, the wealthy, the intelligent, but there were the lame, the sick, the hurting, the blind, the poor, and the needy. All of them came into the church. The church is not dependent upon enough people that have enough money to buy some land and build a building and make a church. The church starts when a person says, all that I have belongs to the Lord. And my God has adopted me into his family and I want to get to know the family and at the same time, I want to get with the family as we try to add to our family by carrying the gospel message, the good news to the uttermost part of the earth. You go back and look at your Bible. You remember a man that was a fisherman and he became a fisher of men. You remember another tax collector? He had a bad political job, but one day he had lunch with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The political powers could not handle the stranger of Galilee. They were not able to deal with this. There's, there's a story in the Bible of an assassin of Christians who was, he was actually involved in the assassination of Christians. And one day he met God personally on a road. He was knocked to his knees. He was blinded. His great education that he had accumulated growing up in, in wealth was put in the past and God took a hold of a man named Saul and changed his name to Paul and let him write much of the New Testament. Amen. Now that's the kind of people God uses. For those of you that have problem because you were not born with a silver spoon in your mouth, it's an old expression that is used, you, you, didn't, you didn't have wealthy parents, you were not well known in the city, you just were born. And you said, I'm a nobody looking for nothing. And anything that happens is fine with me. I'm just, I'm just going to go with the tide. I'm just going to go with the culture. I'm just going to be one of the bunch. But that man that was knocked down on that road, he wrote a lot of books. Let me give you one. He wrote to a church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Verses 26 through 29. I'm going to go back to the 25th verse. You're going to pick it up on the screen on the 26th. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brothers, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 
And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, if we sing about Jesus today, we need to sing what a wonderful change in my life was wrought when Jesus came into my heart. We ought to sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Those kind of songs came out of the hearts of people that understood that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says that one day, the kings of all the nations and all people of all backgrounds will stand before a holy God and the question will be answered. What did you do with my gift of salvation that came to you in a sick world in the person of my son, Jesus Christ? And he gave himself on a cross as a ransom for all people everywhere as an absolute free gift. You didn't have to qualify for it. You didn't pay a down payment. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And the question will be, not how confused were you about the religion you saw in your generation and the people that claimed that they had it, but the only question will be, what did you do with Jesus Christ, my son, who gave himself and shed his blood for you to have a brand new life? Because you see, that's the church. That's the church. The church is the bride and the body of Christ that comes together for one purpose, and that is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. The social elite, the movers, the shakers, the mighty in power, we see them every day falling across the world. Assassinations, murders, heart attacks, cancer, name it. But Jesus is alive. And those that know him that are part of the church will never see death. They will leave this world. But to be absent from the body, Jesus said, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. Those people, those beggars, those lepers, they captured the heart of the world. People with great educations and great wealth and great health they would look at those people and just be shocked at how a beggar, a person with leprosy, the blind, the halt, and the maimed would flock to Jesus. They could not understand it, and the world cannot understand that today. However, that bunch of people, according to the Holy Scriptures, and I quote the, the Scripture, turned the world upside down. Think about that. They turned the world upside down. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have beautiful buildings. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have buses to ride into church. They didn't have any of that stuff. The only thing they had was Jesus Christ, and he was alive in their life. And wherever they went, Jesus Christ had the preeminence. I thought of a story this week. I was watching a 
commercial. It was actually last week, one of these little quickies. And it had, uh, Tom Lester has made a movie. Tom Lester. Now, for those of you that are under 50, you probably said never heard of him. Well, he's your brother in Christ, okay? Even though he's not your cousin. Tom Lester played Eb in Green Acres on television, okay? It was the number two watched television show for nine years. Uh, only uh, the Beverly Hillbillies drew more of an audience. And Tom Lester came to know Jesus in Laurel, Mississippi. He grew up with Ed Young, pastor of the Second Baptist Church in Houston. Tom Lester was a country boy that God called and said, I want you in the ministry. But he couldn't preach. And he would tell you, and you can look at him, and he would say, I wasn't that handsome. But he felt like God wanted him in entertainment. And he went all the way out to Hollywood and he got a job in a dinner theater and Paul Henning, the creator of Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, and, um, and let's say Beverly Hillbillies and Green Acres, those three, daughter was in the cast. And he was writing Green Acres and Tom Lester was in the play and said, you look like a country boy that walk around with a pig on a leash. <laughs> You're the guy. And he read for the part and he got it, okay? Tom became a very close friend of mine and still is. Let me tell you real quick why I'm bringing him up. I took him to South Texas one time, to Carrizo Springs, Texas, Dimmitt County. I want you to know when we walked in the cafe down there, everybody in the cafe, including those in the kitchen, were jumping out the window. <laughs> That's Eb. That's Eb. And one came out to our table and she had a whole pad of her, you know, those green and white things they write your hamburger down on. And she said, will you sign every one of these, you know, because everybody in the kitchen wants your autograph. You're Eb, aren't you? And he said, yes. We drove out to, the, to where we were staying at the ranch house and I looked up the road and there was a quarter of a mile of cars that followed this man out there. <laughs> now this is Creaso Springs. It's not Houston, understand? All right. But here's why I'm telling you the story. This man signed autographs for four hours. But let me tell you how he signed the autograph. He said, I'm just shocked that you want my name. He says, could I tell you a name that you don't want to ever forget? And he said, Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And they would back back and said, if you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he'd get a bunch of them and say, y'all come over here because then I'll make this line move faster. But I want every one of you to know that my name won't mean anything to you. But one day, the name of Jesus will mean everything to you. Now that's being a witness, folks. No lights, no cameras, no action. A little country cafe in a cowboy town. And the name of Jesus was going to every person that approached this man. How about you? And how about me? How are we doing at that? In Acts 17, 6, there was a young man named Jason. And some of his friends were brought before the leadership of the city. And he was the one that was accused of turning the world upside down. Now today, it would appear from some people's point of view, rather than the church turning the world upside down, the world has turned the church upside down. And it's had so much impact on the world, the church has, has been so impacted by the world that there's very little difference. In its membership that is in the church and those that are not in the church. In the same subdivision, in the same place. There seems to be not much difference. Here's a fact. Looking back at the early church, 
that was so great in its culture, so great in its impact. The Christians were shaking the world. They could not believe. Why would you follow this man, Jesus? Now, as the story prevailed, more began to learn because you see there was that pre-cross time, then there was that cross to resurrection time, and then there was that post-resurrection time. And then there was that 40 days before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so in different venues there, the church was revealing itself and its message was getting out and it was visual. Thank God that we have cameras today. Thank God we have screen. Thank God we can have visuals to go along with the spoken word. But you see, there's something that the church offers that nobody else offers. And that's Jesus. Jesus said to the church, you are my soul representative. You can't tell people about Jesus if you don't know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you can't help but tell people about Jesus. Because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. But he is God in the flesh. And the power of the church comes in a resurrected living Lord Jesus that lives in the hearts through the Holy Spirit of his children. Now the fact is, churches today, by the overwhelming majority of any book you want to read that's been written in the last 20 years, are having very, very, very little impact on changing the culture. That's just a fact. It's a sad fact, but it is absolutely true. We're just being ignored. We're being threatened. We went through a thing in Houston not long ago under previous administration when they were subpoenaing the sermons of the preachers. Can you imagine a city being so bold to believe that they got the authority to control what happens in the pulpits of the churches? God help us. How could that ever come up? How could anybody even think about doing that because they see the church as a bunch of weaklings that they're scared to death? I mean, these preachers, they might be afraid they'd go to jail. Well, you know, when we do, we'll just join the rest of them. You know, maybe I get Paul's cell one day. How about that? Be in the Holy Land and Houston, come over and get me. I said, well, put me in that jail right there. You know, right there where Paul was. But God says to his church, all power is given to you in heaven and earth. Go therefore and sing and do meetings and have socials. Is that what he said? He said, no, go you therefore and teach the gospel and preach the gospel to a lost world. And I will come in my power and I will change the world through my church. But you've got to go. You're my hands. You're my feet. You're my eyes. You're my ears. You're my voice. You are living in this generation. You go and you tell the world who Jesus is. The world has speakers, singers, teachers, organizers, facilities, sports programs, music, seminars, but they don't have Jesus. We got Jesus. We've got Jesus and he's the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. And John 12, 32 says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all men unto me. With all the th things we have to work with today and all the technology and all of the learning, 
If we leave Jesus out, we're sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, It came to pass that he was praying in a certain place. This is Jesus. And when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Are you listening to me? The poorest attended meetings at churches are the prayer meetings. The prayer meetings. This church meets every Monday at 11 o'clock in the South Wing. The largest crowd we've probably ever had in that room was, was probably 25 to 30 out of 20,000. But there's something, 11 o'clock on Monday, too busy, can't do that. My schedule's tied up, don't have time to do that. But you know what the Bible says? My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and do what? Have a meeting. No. Have a social. No. Well, bring a group in that can really pack the house. No. He says, pray. Pray. And when you leave the meeting, keep praying. When you go to bed at night, keep praying. When you start to eat the food, have prayer. But while you're eating it, pray. Look over there at that one piece of chicken left and pray it'll still be there when you've eaten the one you've got. You know, those real spiritual prayers that you have when you're really hungry. When Jesus went back into heaven following his resurrection, he had a little meeting. I don't know if you noticed this, but read the Bible. Jesus' meetings were always short. I mean, he'd get, get the group together and while one was coming in the parking lot, the meeting was over. You know, I said, if you don't know what I said, go ask one of them. You know, I've got to be about my father's business. I'm on my way somewhere else. Listen to what he said in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry you here in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass when he blessed them, he was parted from them, carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. They focused on Jesus. They never ceased to pray. They were united in their priority. We are praying for people to be saved. We are praying for God to send his son back to this world to redeem us that are saved and to carry us to be with him. We're praying for that day to come, but only after every person has heard the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Every church, local church, must determine its priorities. And when you determine your priorities, then decisions you make, people will understand or should understand. The priority of the church is to bring lost people to Jesus. No options, none. Acts 1.14, it says, these people all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. That was the prayer meeting. But see, that's the way the church is. 
We don't remember that all power comes to him. If God needs anything, if he can find the people, whatever he needs, he'll just flow it through his people. No, he's not waiting on you to decide whether you'll give up something. He doesn't do that. He finds people, the eyes of the Lord, go to and fro throughout the whole congregation to show himself strong in behalf of people whose heart's perfect towards him. Well, what's a perfect heart? A perfect heart is a heart full of Jesus. If there's anything in your heart other than Jesus, you don't have a perfect heart. If the world is part of it, you know, it's I'm about 50-50. I used to be 70-30 with the world, but I'm 50-50 now. And if I keep up on this route now, I'll be 60-40 by the time I die. You know, you better let Jesus be all the world to you. Let him be the sweetest name that you know. Because where there's no prayer, there's no power. Acts 4.31 says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Power came. Power came. Do you know when you witness under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will sense an assurance that you don't have until that Holy Spirit shows up. Acts 4.32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were in one heart, one soul. Neither said any one of them aught of the things which he possessed with his own, but they all had all things in common. And with great power they gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The blessings came. Now my question to you today is, this was the answer to their prayers. You think God answers prayer today? Amen. If you're a first-timer here, there's three ways God can answer prayer. One is yes, another is no, and the third is you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> now, God's got a sense of humor because he hears us pray when we're not really having a good prayer day. But, but, God answers prayer today. Amen. Today. Miracles take place all the time in this church, all the time. Prayer groups meeting together, praying for, for livers that are infested with cancer, and six weeks later go back for a clean checkup, and they cannot find it. The doctor says, I don't know what it was. It must have been that new medicine I tried on you. No, it was that great physician that can, can he can not only heal the sick, he can raise the dead. And by the way, whenever you, you say, well, he drew his last breath. No, there's be another one coming. When the trumpet sounds, he'll wake up and we're going to go to be with the Lord. Amen. We're just kind of getting a rest in between. Acts 1.14 says they all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Man, that is a good place to be. Always in prayer. Always trusting God. Always believing. But you know why? God wants to come into our lives through the Holy Spirit because without it, we cannot be a witness. And that's the reason, and I say this in love, but, but it's the truth, and you know it's the truth. The reason a lot of people don't witness, they don't feel they have any power in them to witness. I don't know how. You know what's the best testimony you'll ever give? Your personal one. You're an authority of what happened in your life. You ought to be better at that than anybody. If, if somebody else knows about, more about you than you know about you, they need to go to the doctor, not you. But if you know that Christ is in you and there's a hope of glory, then you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. And the first thing you know is your little feeble thing like, like 
uh, Tom Lester would say, although he knew how to talk to people about Jesus, but he could just say, at the name of Jesus, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Well, what does that mean? Well, they ask the question, you take it from there. That's what it means to be a follower of the Lord. Over in Acts chapter 8, there is a, one of the great stories of the Bible. And the, um, let me just, I'll just read it real quick. I, I can read it quicker than I can tell it to you. Acts 8, 26. Are you ready? And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, now what, Philip was a layman and a deacon. Okay, that's who this guy is. He'd gone out on a, on a mission trip. And so the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south and to the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and he went. And, a ho- and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to the chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in the chariot. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? What was Bible teachers, Bible students? He was reading Isaiah. Who was he reading about in Isaiah 2,000 plus years before? What's the name? Jesus. Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus. He was reading about Jesus and Jesus hadn't even appeared. It was hundreds of years Oh, it's a coincidence. What? No, it wasn't. This man needed to know who Jesus was before he even showed up. Look, it says the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you of whom speak the prophet this, of himself or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Old Testament, Jesus. Wow. Man, you're talking about a soul winning class. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, this is a great church in action. Now, let me tell you how the modern church would have handled this. I can see Philip coming out of a, of a class at church, and he had learned that the way you win people to Christ is to live a Christian life before them. And so I can see him coming out in the same situation, and instead of stopping and asking what you're reading and climbing up in the chariot and preaching Jesus, he'd be running along by the chariot, you know, saying, I'm going to show you how happy you can be as a Christian, how good a shape you can stay in if you're a Christian, you know? So look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't you want to be like me? The guy would say, get out of the road. I'm going to run over you. You know, some of you have been working with people 20 years and you think, well, I'm just living my life before them. I just know that they know what a wonderful boss I am, a great secretary, and I'm one of the, the hardest working people on the job. No, 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 no. People want to see Jesus. Thank God for a deacon that knew how to tell people about Jesus. 
He knew what he needed. He needed Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What do you need today? You need Jesus. What do those of us that are saved need to be talking about? Jesus. We need to talk not about our church. We need to talk about Jesus. Three things real quick. His witnessing was verbal. He didn't run along beside the chariot. His witness was scriptural. He simply told that eunuch about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And his witness was Christ-centered. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is a great church where everything we do is to present Jesus. In a great church, every believer knows there is supposed to be a witness and every member looks for an opportunity to practice it. If you'll think with me as I close, how many people you know that need Jesus? Oh, you know them. All of us are meeting new people all the time. I don't care how old we are, we meet new people. Do they know that you know Jesus? Do you ever talk about Jesus? Do you ever ask them what's the sweetest name you know? And they say, well, my grandson or granddaughter, whatever. And you say, well, you know, mine is Jesus. You ever hear about Jesus? But I want you to go away from here today. And I want you to think, Lord, it's been a while, too long, since I've told people about you. And I want you to forgive me. And would you take every opportunity you can, you, me, to see where that door is opening and where somebody comes out and something happens and it just introduces, I can give a testimony right here. I can tell this person about Jesus. Don't put them down. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But lift them up, lift them up, lift them up. You know, in a great church, Miracles do take place. As I said a while ago, the sick get healed. Poor people financially become stable. Some become faithful and become uh, even more wealthy and are able to share their wealth with the world. Grievers get comforted. Drug addicts are set free. Those that are in bondage, pornography, alcohol, whatever, they get set free. Haters become lovers. Takers become givers. Not a week goes by that I do not think as your pastor about Sage My Church, did it take place this week? When I go out in the foyer, I go out in the foyer to greet as many people as I can because I, I want that. I want to know you as much as I can. But I tell you what I'm, I'm really looking for is people that need encouragement. People that are coming down off of the drugs, the sins of this world. Be thrown out of a lot of places with some of the greatest miracles in Sagemont. And I'll go no further with this illustration. I'm not gonna call your name, so just sit still. <laughs> but I want you to know that I've been here long enough to know that I'm preaching right now to a lot of people that if the church wouldn't have been the church, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. Amen. But you were introduced through something, hunting, fishing, golf, women's ministry, student ministry, children's ministry, vacation Bible school, some way, somebody got off the program 
and told you about Jesus. And you said, and you were in the minority when you did, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And you were gloriously saved. And nothing has changed. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know why I know that the day of miracles is not over? It's because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. As long as he is alive, there will be miracle after miracle at miracle. Because he's alive, you can be saved today. Because he's alive, you can be called out today into the ministry. Acts 19, 2 says, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said unto him, we don't so much as even heard there be any Holy Spirit. When you take people like that and you lead them to what they need to understand, there is a Holy Spirit and that spirit is working. Wonderful things happen. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding and all your ways do what? Acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will direct your path. A weak church is a people-led church. A great church is a Jesus-led church. And we get our instructions from Jesus. Only thing the minister does or the teacher does is to communicate audibly what the Spirit says through the Word of God. And when you veer from that and think this is a creative idea that think it'll reach more people, it won't reach more people to Jesus Jesus says, lift me up and let me draw them. I don't, want, I don't want people to be drawn to you. I want them to be drawn to me. And there's a big difference. There is a big, big difference. But a great church knows and practices Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We don't have any vote in a church to do, to do or not do what God commands. He said, go ye, make disciples, baptize. That's your command. If you want to be on my good side, you keep that a priority. If you build a building, you make sure that building's going to be used to bring people to Jesus Christ, that that building's going to be used to bring lost people to salvation. Make sure that that building is going to be used for people to stand on the platform that believes that Jesus is the sweetest name they know and that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by him. And don't you do anything to the contrary or I'll take my hand off of you. That is a challenge. That is a real challenge. A great church is a growing church, not numerically, but spiritually. And that doesn't mean you become self-centered. It means that you become more outwardly focused as he is, so we are in this world. We're on the mission fields. We're out there where people are, beginning here and then going to the uttermost part of the world. The Bible talks about 3,000 people being saved in one day. It talks about seven churches and all those things that uses numbers, 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 even a book named Numbers in the Bible. People say, I don't like to talk about numbers. Well, Jesus does. You know what his favorite number is? One. You know which one? You. That's his favorite number. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to get his gift. He's got something. He's just holding it back. He says, I just can't wait to you. You know, I just can't wait till you open what I've got for you. I just want you to come to me. I love that old gospel song. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. The church 
will keep growing as long as there's a lost person on the planet. The church today will grow by how many people get saved, not by how many people attend. That's the way it'll be numbered in heaven. And I want you to go away from here today thinking about how wonderful it is to be alive and to be in a place like Houston where the world is coming to us. I look out my back door and see more ships coming by every week than any port in America. The Houston port's now number one in America. And the world is coming here. Not coming over fences, they're coming in 700-foot boats and every other way. And you know what our job is? Not to get them a job, it's to get them to Jesus.